Hi, this is Against Everyone with Connor Habib, a weekly podcast featuring my conversations with countercultural figures and presenting complex philosophical, spiritual, and political ideas in an engaging and accessible way. Well, friends, before I start this episode with Vic Mensa, I want to talk about how we get stuck in revolution. Uh, it has a lot to do with the things that Vic and I talk about, but um, to do that, I'm going to start with the revolutions in France in 1968. Without going into almost any detail, <laughs> basically these revolutions uh, were started or at least uh, provoked by university students who were staging occupations to resist capitalism, consumerism, um, canned and shitty art, all that kind of stuff. And their resistance uh, spread out and led to general strikes that began to threaten the people in power. Um, I'm not going to tell you too much more about it. You can look it up. There's volumes and volumes written about this revolution. But I am going to hone in on one moment right around this revolution. And that's the moment uh, that university students were seeking answers from the French psychoanalyst and philosopher Jacques Lacan, who was a big intellectual in France at the time. Now, what Lacan said right around this time was something that was very frustrating and controversial. Basically, he said, <laughs> uh, revolutionaries, hmm, uh, what you want as revolutionaries is just another master, uh, or what you aspire to as a new master. Now, obviously, this is very frustrating, um, and yet I think there really is something to it. What Lacan was saying, in other words, was we become so stuck in our struggles that we begin to identify with them, um, and that we seek to overturn a certain condition so we can find ourselves right back into it. Let me break this down into a much more sort of mundane version so maybe we can understand. Um, and I talk about this a lot actually on the very first episode of the show a few years back. But think about someone you know who is in a really shitty relationship. And they complain to you about their, let's just say their boyfriend, their boyfriend does this, their boyfriend does that, their terrible boyfriend. Um, and they tell you about all the terrible qualities of their boyfriend, they hate it, and you're like, gosh, you just got to get out of that relationship. So eventually, he or she breaks up with their boyfriend. And you all have a little party, you're like, this is for the best, thank goodness, that guy sounded terrible, blah, blah, blah. Then, a few months later, that person starts dating a new boyfriend. And this guy seems great by all uh, appearances. And things are going well for a few months. But then slowly, the complaints creep back in. And they're the same kind of complaints. Maybe even the same words are being used to describe all the terrible things this person is doing. And at that point, you stand back and you think, huh... Why is that person re-evoking the same relationship structure? Why is this looking exactly like that last one that they said they didn't want to be in? This is how uh, struggle can work sometimes. You end up identifying 
with being in certain kinds of pain, being in certain kinds of struggles, being in certain kinds of resistances, so much that you begin to evoke the conditions that uh, keep you in those struggles, that keep you in those resistances, because that's where your identity lies. So it's not to say that you never break out of the pattern or um, that the, you know, maybe the second boyfriend was really shitty um, or the first one was shitty or whatever. But it is to say that sometimes we get locked into identifying with our struggles in such a way that we have to reproduce the uh, aspects of that struggle that make us feel like who we are. We feel like that's who we are. This is, you know, a real problem for the way we talk about revolution, the way we talk about social change. There's this idea like, oh, if we just change the social conditions, uh, everything will be great. If we just get society right, everything will be great. But it isn't as easy as that. There's a component of ourselves that evokes the need to be in constant struggle. Um, and of course, there are all sorts of personal aspects of the self that, <laughs> you know, matter that we need to work on. So it's not just a matter of changing society. And it's not just a matter of thinking revolution is good in and of itself. After all, revolution is a kind of revolving anyway. Um, but understanding how to break out of that cycle, that pattern, and the desire to be in it, this sort of secret unconscious longing to be in it altogether. And again, this is not in any way a comment on the oppressor or whether or not the people in power are actually doing terrible things. Of course they are. What's the way out? There are a lot of components. There are a lot of aspects to the way out of this cycle. But part of it is for us to start talking about what we want. What do we actually want? Rather than just identifying the problem, categorizing it, making a taxonomy of woes and saying, you know how this plays out a lot of times, well, I've named the real things that are wrong with the world. So if you don't agree that the things are wrong that I say are wrong in the order that they're wrong and the priorities that they're wrong, then you don't get to be part of the conversation, right? So not just doing that, <laughs> although of course there is some value in naming the problem, but rather talking about what we want in positive terms. Um, you know, there's a sort of famous quote that I brought up on the show before, and I don't know who said it, to be honest, but it's, if your dream is big enough, you don't need a crisis. How do you create a dream that's big enough that you don't tether yourself to crisis? What gets us there? What gets us out of this desire to be in the struggle? Music, poetry, magic, art, sex, spirituality, conversation, gardening, meditation, forgiveness, knowing our neighbors. These sorts of things allow us to create new rhythms in our lives that can help us identify what we really want what we want our days to look like, 
how to begin to identify with what is pleasurable to us, interesting to us, exciting to us, beyond just struggle. So, I decided to talk about all this with rapper and activist Vic Mensa. I'm sure a lot of you know Vic already from his music, um, from his own work, as well as his collaborations with Kanye and Chance the Rapper, among many others. He's also the founder of Save Money, Save Life with Londi Keepsiegel, which does mutual aid work in Chicago. Vic and I talk about how to disidentify with the enemy and our struggle against the enemy. Uh, we talk about meditation, talking with the dead, about music as a restorative space, about the power of sexuality in hip-hop, and more. So if you go to the show notes for this, patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib, and then you just find the entry for this episode, um, you can look at links to all the books and songs that we talk about, as well as a Spotify playlist I made of my favorite songs by Vic. Um, and yeah, there's a, <laughs> I guess I'll just say also at the outset, there's a small sound glitch in the first five minutes and probably no one but other podcasters will notice this, but whatever, if you're new to the podcast, I just want you to know, uh, I'm addressing it so you know it gets better just a few minutes into the episode. Before I just send you off into this conversation, it's a really great fucking conversation. Um, I would love if you supported the show. So uh, patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib, patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib. That's where you'll find the show notes too. You can pledge at any level you want, whatever you can give financially to the show. Um, and the reason why I do that is I don't have any sponsors. Um, the people who sponsor this show are the people who listen to it, people that think it has value and meaning in their lives. So people like you. Uh, I'm not going to go on and on about uh, trying to get you to pay for it, but I'm just happy that this show is fully funded by listeners. It's a way in which we can be connected. Um, I'm trying to put out something that has meaning and people are giving to say, hey, I want to support the things that have meaning. And that's awesome. That's the kind of world that I want. <laughs> All right. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Vic Mensa. Hey everybody, it's against everyone with Connor Habib. Hello, Vic Mensa. Peace, peace. I was trying to think about where I want to start with this, and I was thinking about my friend Caitlin Doty. So she's a she's a mortician in LA and she's written a bunch of books on the death industry there. And when everything was happening in LA with pandemic stuff, she was like, you know, I was we all started to get the feeling here in the death industry that people get when they, you know, you see a movie and someone's on a desert island. And they look up and they see the helicopter and they wave, but then the helicopter just passes by and you realize, oh shit, nobody's coming to save you. Like no one's coming to save you. And I know, you know, it's like something I hear in your lyrics a lot. Like, you you know, who do you call when the ambulances don't come, that sort of stuff. And so I think that there's this, this aspect of like, there's no one but us now we got to do it. Right. And I know that you've been inspired by traveling to Gaza and, you know, other, other things like that. So 
I think I want to start there because it seems like, yeah, there's like a a responsibility that's like, let's let's do something new. Let's look out for each other. So yeah, let's start there. Wait, the death industry. I've never heard that before. <laughs> that's like a, just a, a, an ill name. But um, man, you know, I mean, I, I'm from Chicago. So um, that largely colors and influences the way that I see things, you know, and um, Chicago being like a microcosm for every hood USA, you know what I'm saying? It's like, we're, we're left to our own devices. You know what I mean? It's like they pointed us and they scapegoat us and they say, you know, look at what happens when everything goes wrong. You know, obviously that doesn't account for like the way that our plight has been orchestrated and engineered, you know, and experiments that were dropped on us like public housing, um, but, you know, we live in the present time and, you know, America is like, America has this uh, obsession with amnesia, you know what I mean? And revisionist history. So they like to just forget the past and be like, hey, it's fucked up there. We're not coming to hell. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so I, I think that, that that finds its way into my, you know, into, into my lyrics and the things that I do in my life a lot because um, cause that, that's, that's where I'm at, you know, that's where. The, the people that I love are if if we don't take the steps to in, ensure our own safety and our own freedom and, you know, uh, justice and, you know, infrastructure and all those things on, if we don't take that burden upon ourselves, then, you know, we won't have any of them because they're not a, they're not a given. You know, I know with save money, save life where, <laughs> and you guys were just robbed and then, and then a couple of years ago, you had your landlord uh, kick you out. So you've got a hard, uh, hard road with that organization. <laughs> but I know, you know, uh, I want to talk about that too because it's an extension of, uh, it's an extension of your art, I think, in some ways. But the, you're doing the street medic stuff, donating shoes, donating winter kits, all that kind of stuff. Disaster volunteers. So that's a mutual or- aid organization. Wow. And I mean, I think that that's like. Yeah, that idea of look, there's nobody around. I mean, the way I, the way I try to say things for myself and trying to create some sort of political response is like, you know, we get so caught up in resisting things that we forget that we've got to create a completely new world. And I think that's probably like a huge, um, like that's a huge component of something that we're all dealing with right now with you know, trying to create forms of mutual aid and meet our neighbors and just talk to each other and stuff. So, you know, I know COVID has showed up in a couple of your songs and everything as well. So I'm just wondering what it's like thinking about that, bringing it into music, bringing it into the organization and seeing now without a doubt that we all depend on our neighbors. We all depend on the kind of goodwill and communication with the people that live around us instead of just the powers that be. You know, I, um, I, I see the, the the community things and the foundation shit, music. I, I I see it all interchangeably in a lot of ways. Like I I try to use both avenues as a way to ideate, you know, to to bring just ideas into fruition into real life. So it's like 
the idea that I have might lend itself to a rap verse, or it might be something like the street medics program where it lends itself to an initiative or an action. Um, and, you know, it's just different methods of execution. At the end of the day, it's like, I, I look at, I look at it all um, creatively, you know what I mean? As, as creativity and, and creation. So what, what you're saying resonates and makes sense to me um, because creating new structures and, and, and avenues and solutions, you know what I mean? It's like th- whether that is just informing people through music or that's, you know, feeding people physically. Um, I do think about resistance sometimes. And I'm, I feel like I was having a conversation or reading something the other day that was speaking to that same point that we like spend so much time in resistance mode. And, um, you know, I, I'm heavy on the spiritual philosophy and like Eastern shit. And so much of that is about acceptance. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I, I, bal- I, I like try to find the balance, you know, between this constant idea of, of resisting and, you know, a, a deeper spiritual concept of, of, of acceptance of, you know, of the present and taking committed action. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I, Cause I feel like they work to, they work together, but like in 2020, I remember when all the protesting and rioting and looting was happening. It was just pure resistance, mm-hmm. you know? And I looked up three weeks later and I was like, dog, I don't think I've, I haven't really eaten. I've been, I've been at I've been resisting all day long. <laughs> I've been at every protest, you know. I've been outside looting. I've been uh, trying to, you know, trying to fucking write policy. I, I've been trying. I've been straight mm-hmm. resisting, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And that shit wasn't that healthy, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like uh, <laughs> I feel like. There's got to be a way, what you're saying is like, to to me, what I hear is like, there's got to be a way to be in the struggle when it's needed to create that sort of stop gap, that, that halt to all the forces eroding the good work that's being done. But also you got to disidentify with the struggle and identify with the dream instead, because if you don't, then you just, you only know yourself and struggle. And I think that that's a really bad place to be. There's this like, uh, this quote, I brought it up on the show before, but there's this French philosopher, psychoanalyst Jacques Lacan. And in 1968, when the students were rioting in France, they went to him and they're like, cause he was really famous at the time. They're like, what do we do? You know? Um, and he said, I'm going to tell you, but you're not going to like it. <laughs> he was like, you don't really want revolution. You just want new masters. And like what he meant to say was like, just be careful that, you know, you're not just replacing the faces, you know, because you identify so deeply with the struggle. And so it's really hard, I think, to hold that, to hold that tension. So, you know, that, I I don't know. I mean, I think like, it's interesting to hear you say that there's that tension there between the acceptance is as it is. And then also, so you got to put those two things in their place. But I think, I mean, it seems like you're doing that. <laughs> it seems like, like you're doing a pretty he, good job. <laughs> I like what he said, man. He was like, y'all don't really want a revolution. That's like the, um, 
That's like the la- the last poet's poem, Niggas Are Scared of Revolution. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's that's last poets, right? Yeah. No, I mean, hell yeah, niggas are scared of revolution. You know, this shit's so deep on so many levels. It's like, you know, um, I, I, I see some people um, that will be, you know, advanced, you know, when it comes to their their perspective on imperialism and, um, you know, the, the, the bastardization of the colonized people by the European powers and the exploitation of Africa, just like stupid advanced. And then when it comes to matters of like patriarchy and, and gender and, you know, those things be regressed. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so do we really want revolution though? If we, if we caught up in, you know, if we, if we're caught up in structures of oppression while we while we fight against other oppressions, I don't know if niggas really want revolution. You know, I think niggas are definitely scared of revolution because it's like, yo, when it comes to resisting, it's way easier to resist what you recognize as being a, your enemy, you know, than it is like to resist the enemy and yourself. You know what I'm saying? And we hold we hold a lot of shit so deep. How do you manage? Do you think to let some of that go, like to disidentify? You know, for me, I try to talk about it. Like, I forget who said this, but it was the quote is like, "If your dream is big enough, then you don't need a crisis, right?" And so I sometimes I think like, again, it's like if I identify with the dream, if I ask myself, "What do I want?" You know, instead of always framing things in terms of what yeah. I don't want. Yeah, that helps yeah. me get out of it and helps me move. But I guess I'm asking more on a personal level because you you seem to have some of that. <laughs> None of us have it all sorted, but you seem to have some of it sorted, right? So, like, how do you sort it for yourself? You know, I, um, I I'm like grateful to have just some uh, really some like strong women in my life. You know what I mean? That helped me to recontextualize and like um and 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 reframe the ways that I, I look at things and um i'm a student you know what i mean i just I, I i stay i stay studying i stay reading you know what i mean whether it's like heavy political shit or it's like you know some sanskrit meditation ass shit you know um and I think all of that helps me to be able to identify uh, and recognize what I have going on internally. Like I, I was upset yesterday, you know, upset with like some people on my team and, you know, some communication stuff. And, and I jumped right back into some old patterns. Like I, I used to scream a lot. You know what I mean? I used to like, just like kind of feed off this feed off rage, you know, <laughs> and be yelling at people that I work with or yelling at fucking Uber drivers. Like dog, my Uber rating is terrible. You know? <laughs> and I, it's like nothing recent. It's like from like, 
you know, a few years back. Some wounds never Uber, heal. <laughs> yeah. My Uber rating is so bad, you know, and I'll look at these videos of people getting in literal trouble for like fucking screaming and fighting their Ubers. And I'll be like, damn, yo, that's the same shit I was, I used to do. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I found myself, you know, all screaming yesterday. Um, and I could just, you know, now I can, I can identify it and peep it and be like, okay, I'm, not, I'm gonna, I'm a, I'm a meditate. I'm a shift my energy. I'm a, I'm a shift to acceptance on this, and I'm not gonna do the same thing tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like, um, mm. I don't remember what I was answering, but I feel like it was about how I navigate. how you separate. Yeah, yeah. How how I navigate it, man, is I I, I try to like self inquiry is something that um that I and meditative inquiry is something that I've been reading about recently too. It's like, um, it's like a, a meditative practice that I'm, that I'm just starting to learn about, but it's like when you're in your, you know, centered space, it's like inquiring where, where am I? You know what I mean? Looking for what myself really is, you know, mm-hmm. and watching those thoughts and being like, okay, I'm not that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm the space in between the thoughts. You know what I mean? So I could peep that when when I start fucking tweaking and yelling at people and you know, blah, 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 I'm like, okay, that's that's not actually that's not actually me. I used to live, I used to feed on that shit though and be like, that's that's mm-hmm. me. I'm crazy, you know, I'm I'm a Gemini. I I, I am this way. <laughs> this is this is me, this is who I am. But I I think I'm more so coming to realize that it's like that's not who I am, you know, the, the, the beefing with the police and all this, that, and the third, like, you know, it might be justified and, and, and it might be the right thing to do, but I'm also not confused in thinking that that's like who I am or what makes me anymore, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? beefing with anybody. Yeah, yeah. Like the the resistance part becomes a necessary action and you can identify when it's necessary, right? And so you exactly. do the necessary thing. But you don't think I am that. You just think I do this because it needs to be done right now, you know what right. I mean? So so where did then um where did that spiritual practice come into your life? Like who how how did you discover that and what exactly is it? Cuz I mean it is it, and it's coming up in your lyrics a little bit more lately too. So I'm wondering how it's, how it showed up. Man, you know, I, I've been like exploring those subjects and stepping into those worlds since I was in high school. Hmm. Uh, and I, you know, started meditating when I was in high school. Um, Cause I really became like very aware of my intense anxiety in high school. Um, you know, but I, really been dealing with the mental health shit since I was a little kid. Um, and, you know, more recently, like, I, I was in a 12-step program a couple of years back um, that uh, a, a woman that's really close to me kind of, like, introduced me to. Um, mm-hmm. And that definitely, that definitely helped me with, like, analyzing and assessing myself and some self-inquiry. And I've, you know, been down the, the the spirit medicine, you know, rabbit holes, been in, <laughs> in those in those spaces, you know what I mean? 
Um, and all, all, of, all those things come in, in together with like just necessity because when I was, you know, maybe 20, when I was like 22 or something, you know, I was hell bent on dying, you know, and it just wasn't working out. You know what I mean? It was like I was convinced that I wouldn't live to 23, you know, 24, like, and I was doing mad drugs and just like, you know, la- acting out, lashing out at myself and at, and at other people. And it just wasn't sustainable. So it, it's not that, you know, I've got everything figured out by any means now. Um, but I have more of a commitment to like myself to like to live in um, and 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 be, being around, you know. So I'm like, if I'm going to be around, I, I got to take care of myself because I know myself, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I it's it's so like <sighs> that when you talk about, you know, being hell bent on dying and I just think, you know, when when we meditate when we do spiritual practice we find a kind of um, like a positive nothingness within us. Like if you find that death, that nothing inside of you, you don't have to die anymore because you know, you contain it, you know, you hold a kind of nothing. Like, just like you were saying before, like, I forget exactly what you said in reference to, but it's like, we become the space between the stones. We don't become, exactly. the, you know, like um, I had somebody on the show, this guy, <laughs> intense guy he's and ready for this he's an occultist acupuncturist veterinarian okay and he uh, he, he, sounds <laughs> Ill. he was awesome Ew, he sounds ill <laughs> yeah. but he was uh he was he wrote a little bit about how like if you go to stonehenge or somewhere like that you actually see that the spiritual action is taking place in the space between the stones, right? It's not the stones themselves or the wow. way that they're aligned, but the space. And I, I think about that all the time, that there's this sort of positive nothingness. And this, this guy that I'm really interested in, Rudolf Steiner, he said this thing that, you know, the sun is a negative space and it is through that virtue by, with it, by which it shines. And so I think that that's that. that Word. You know what Damn. I mean? Yeah. That's real. So, <clears throat> I, I snuck into Stonehenge one time, yo. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was, I was doing some festival in in England, and um, and we were driving back from the festival, and I was like, I was heartbroken at the time, and I was like, I had drank like a a whole bottle of Hennessy on stage, pretty much. And we're driving, and I'm like, oh, fuck, that's Stonehenge, yo. I'm like, hey, yo, pull over, pull over, you know? And so we just, like, went through the field and, like, jumped the gate and snuck into Stonehenge, man. Yo, Stonehenge is ill, bro. I feel him, too, because, you know what I mean? It's like you feel the cosmic significance. I don't know if some of that might just be some placebo, like, this is a, I know this is a magic place, but um, it felt, it felt powerful. And it's like, it definitely was in the space. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the placebo, I mean, the placebo is part of the cosmic part of it. Right. So like, we shouldn't say like, oh, it's not real because of the placebo. Like, right. like the placebo is that like, uh, I remember I went to this bookstore and um, <laughs> I went to this bookstore in London and they had a, 
they had this chair there. It was known that this chair where Aleister Crowley, you know who that is? He's like this witch magician. Uh, I mean, for, I mean, just known as like the wickedest man alive is what he was called. Oh, or whatever. Wow. But everybody yeah. said he used to sit in that chair, right? So I went to the bookstore and I was like, oh, there's a fucking chair. And I was like, what am I going to do? I want to sit in it. I want to try it out. Let's <laughs> see how it feels. So I sat down in the chair and like, it felt like all the cells in my body were like a flame and coming apart. And like my top, my head was opening up and I was like, what the fuck? And so I went up to the woman who works there and I was like trying to be all knowing and cute kind of. And I was like, that's quite a chair you got there. She's like, oh yeah, my dad bought it for us. <laughs> like it wasn't the Aleister Crowley chair at all. She was just oh, wow. like, oh, we just got to hear it. Right. So I think it's like actually, you know, I did have a real experience there, even if I was sort of tricking myself, right? But like sometimes I think that layering of the mental state is what hooks you into the to the real thing you're seeking. So it's like you go to I was gonna say, I was gonna make a joke, like when you went to Stonehenge, maybe that's when this like spirit of like the meditation and the Eastern thought like alighted on you. You know what I mean? You thought you were just you know, running through drunk, but <laughs> yo, you know that's ill though, because that's the truth though, because that's um like that's that's what I feel happens to me with music, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um it's like, well, obviously the, the the auditory component is it tugs at certain things in you, but I I feel like I it there's the it's a it's a balance between I'm tricking myself into feeling something and then I will really be feeling something though, you yeah. know? Like yeah. I remember the other day, man. I was I was driving and um and I was listening to, to fucking um to Phoebe Bridgers and I was listening to the song Kyoto and it was like I just started feeling all emotional. I'm like, <laughs> you know, she's talking about longing to be somewhere else, and I'm you know, and and I'm like, this is not real. But then I start crying and shit. And I'm like, I'm driving. I'm, I'm crying on the highway, indie rock. And, you know, it wasn't that fucking serious. But I imagined myself into a super emotional state. Like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, I know. It's funny because when I. So when I was a, a kid and like for a lot of my adult life, I was suicidal all the time. Right. Like just total and tried to kill myself a couple of times. So even I'm starting off very heavy, but I'm going to say something kind of funny. So I, I remember <laughs> I was in the car with this girl and I was listening to this really sad music and she was like, Connor, do you think that maybe the reason you're sad all the time is because you're always listening to sad music constantly? <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, as a kid, you're like, fuck you. No, this music speaks to my soul, you know, but right. there is something to that. Like the music oh, is a portal, you well, know what I mean? Yeah. Hell yeah, bro. Like, couple years back you know and i was like just in you know a way more dark place um but physically was in a really bright place i was in la and i was like you know just all all depressed and shit and writing in this journal all the time and i'll look at that i'll look at the things i was writing in the journal and the poems and the little songs and shit i was writing now and I'll just skip the page. I'll be like, this is garbage, man. It's just like the darkness creeps through my heart and tears apart my life. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Like, that's why that shit is not helping. But, you know, it's like yeah. I definitely thought I was like 
you know, I'm like, man, you know, I just, you know, I'm trying to just express how I really feel right now. But I'm like, you know, that 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 shit is for sure influence and impact your mental state, the things that you ingest and the things mm-hmm. that you choose to, you know, that you choose to put to paper or put into speech. Yeah. I mean, I think so the, uh, you know, and that, that really can bear into the way we do activism, the way we try to confront evil, the way we struggle, the way we resist. Right. Because if we, again, if we've got this sort of head full of struggle and resistance, it's not that that doesn't help. It's not that we shouldn't do that. It's not that we shouldn't take care of the problem or, or, or put, put ourselves between, you know, powerful people and people who are less powerful and any of that kind of stuff. But it's just the way it's framed that I find a little frustrating, mm. you know, like I want, I, I want to make this series, my friend, Abby Martin, she's like a political journalist. She goes to war zones and stuff like that. And that's the craziest job. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. Right. And, and I was just oh like, you know, I was like, Abby, I really want to make a series with you where all we do is we cover people that are struggling with power in some way, but we show all the like fun parts of it. You know, so we can be like, this is actually yeah. also the most gratifying, satisfying thing in the world you can do, you know, because if yeah. you just have that head, like, that's like, what's my adventure? Not, mm. you know, and I realize that's like, there's a privileged part to that and all that kind of stuff. I understand that. But I'm talking about, especially for those of us that have a second to breathe, you know, like maybe we can view it that way because that also radiates out and it changes the way we engage, you know? Yo, that makes me think about man when we were in um when we were in Palestine, um, like it was definitely one of the most heavy experiences of my life. Um, because there's so much struggle and suffering and, and oppression. And so to offset that, we were having a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, it's like we have the heaviest days, you know, in there with in these refugee camps where, you know, people have had the the schools they're making out of rubber tires be broken into by the by the you know settlements that live up in the hills and they come down and burn down your school and tear down your you know solar powered bathrooms uh, and it's just heavy shit and and so. You know, we would be just out like having having a good fucking time at night because it was helping to offset it. I remember one time we were um, we were at this like a at a bar in a city called Ramallah, and um, and right when we got in, there were like some drunk like some drunk British guys um, across the way, and they pointed over to me. You know, it's all we're all black people. You know, a couple, a couple Latinx people, but all people of color. You know, some a couple Palestinians, a bunch of black poets, artists, a couple Latinx people, uh, and the British guy. He points to me. He's like John, and I, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm kind of, I'm like, nigga, John. Hell no, I'm not John. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so, you know, for. And from then we're kind of like uh, a, a a little bit. You know, there's some tension and shit, and uh, and I go over to. Uh, I was gonna like DJ off my iPhone, 
And somehow I end up in a in a fucking conversation with these guys because I walk by them and I think they said something stupid. And then, you know, I'm all charged up. I'm like, I know everything because I've been here for two weeks and <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, you know. And um and so now I'm arguing about the history of, you know, Palestine. And these guys are they're British military that's here to like train the Palestinian authority, some mm. weird shit. They always be finessing anyway. But uh, you know, long long story short, um, the guy says something I don't like. I think he said called me boy or some shit. Mm. And then I I find myself with my hands around his collar, like <laughs> shake, you know, <laughs> shaking him. And um, and then yo, they got kicked out though. It was so it was surreal, like being being black somewhere. <laughs> And getting in a fight with some white guys, <laughs> and then the white guys got kicked out. Um, and at the end of the day, it was a lot of fun, and it was moments like that that made the that made the whole shit like mm-hmm. come to come together, you know, because we wouldn't have been able to without going out and like having fun, yeah, getting into a little fucking fight, we're playing, you know, being at a little a little bar, and we're all dancing to goddamn it. Three six mafia, like without without that shit, I yeah. don't know how you would even be able to survive something like that. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because you're making me think. So, like, my dad's from Syria, right? And so you're you're making me think. Like, I think about the character of a lot of Arab people, where it's just very emotive, like super strong, like laughter, super strong anger, crying, wailing. You know what I mean? Like, it's just. And I, I'm wondering now, like, oh, does that have something to do with the constant state of emergency? Where, like, actually, like, and I mean, I know, and you know, my uh, my dad's basically, a, a, you know, a refugee and immigrant in a sense. Like, he fled to not be in the military in, in in a lot of ways, and so, but it's like, and I know that doesn't his time didn't compare to Palestine, but it's like that flipping back and forth of emotions is actually just the daily way of life is like, Oh, I'm like <laughs> having this great time. Then I, cause like with me, I'm a little better at it now, but if someone pisses me off, like in my head, I'm like to the fucking grave, like forever, I will never get over this ever, ever. And then, and then that person will be like, I'm sorry. And I'll be like, Oh my God, my best friend. Like, I'll just be over it instantly. You know what I mean? Like I just go through these. And so I wonder if it's shaped by that, you know, constant state of emergency. Yeah, the, the state of emergency in that part of the world is like, it's unfathomable from what we got going on. I mean, you know what? I've been um, watching a Netflix series about this is my way of studying uh, is fucking the Ottoman Empire. You know, I, I, I haven't been that... Um, educated about the ottoman empire but i started watching this you know series about them taking constantinople um and it's crazy to think that that um you know we look from our american lens at like the current middle east and um i don't think a lot of people young people realize that it's not so far away from a time of like great prosperity. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and, um, 
And then you think like, well, the Ottoman Empire didn't last all that long. It was like 300, 400 years. Um, but so is America. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you ever think about how this shit had? It's got to end at some point. Something like, <laughs> yeah. And I think I to think go from that to modern day Syria. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I think like amongst all the horrible shit that's happened in the past year, that's actually the gift of the year. You know, is like we all look at it and we're like, oh shit, the entire world can change in a year. The entire right. world. You know, so now what? You know, now now what do we want? Now that we know that, it's like when you meditate and you're meditating for five minutes and you think like four hours has passed, and then like you look at the time and you're like, oh shit, five minutes. You're like, whoa, I could do a lot in five minutes if I wanted, you know, much right. less, you know, then you get this whole year uh, of COVID and you're like, fuck. But I want to go back to something, um, which is, you know, when you say like, I'm bringing in, this is way back to the beginning where you're like, I'm bringing in ideas that it could be a song. It could be, and I heard you actually talking on in another interview where you're like, I, I could end up just like writing something that's not a song at all. Just writing. I could put it in a screenplay. I could, could put it in a story wherever it might go. But you're also saying I could put in activism because something's coming through. What's what's coming through for you? What do you think's bringing that idea through? I mean, I know, you know, I well, yeah. I guess I'm just wondering, what do you think? What do you think is coming through? Because the way you describe it, it actually there's this thing that kind of selects you to. It's almost like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna show up for you, and I'm gonna distribute myself through your prism into all these different kinds of forms. But I don't know if you have a feeling for that. I feel like I feel like what what we do as creators is is uh is uh, is a spiritual practice, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and like I, I literally I pray I pray to my ancestors, you know, and I mm-hmm. and I like my my direct prayer when I was meditating last night before I went to the studio, you know, I like called on my grandma and you know, my most famous ancestor is a warrior named Brafanama. And then, you know, Ajayao, old soldier, and some of the, you know, guys that my father tell me about. You know, I even call, I even called on Allah, shit, I'm not even Muslim, but I mean, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and I was like, yo, man, let me be a channel. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. um, like let, let me be, let me be a channel in, in what, I, what I'm doing tonight. Um, and and bring it through me, and I don't know exactly what what it is, um, but I know that like when I when I dedicate myself with consistency and and apply my energy, um, that uh, that it, I open myself up to be a channel. I think, and I think it is just energy, you know. Like um, in the creation of the the project that you know that I have coming out right now. Um, there was, there was a, there was a moment in time when I was in a studio and I was writing a song that's called Musa. And the song is about, um, me helping to bring a friend of mine home from prison like 12 years early. And I'm telling this literal story about how this thing happened. And then I got a, I got a, a DM right as I'm in the studio from somebody telling me about a guy named Julius Jones who's on death row. 
and mm-hmm. telling me that Julius Jones sent them a letter and it said uh, theme music by Vic Mensa at the top, you know. And and this is like, this is what happens, right? As I'm in the studio making a song about freedom, you know, and this theme music, We Could Be Free by Vic Mensa. So a song I did about being free four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it lined up for me at that moment. And I was like, yo, the energy that, that I put in, in a direction when I do it with intent and I do it with mm-hmm. like, you know, with intent, some cosmic significance exists because I put this energy out there and here I am doubling down, you know, putting a similar type of energy again and here it's bouncing right back to me, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I think what's coming through it, what's coming through is just, is, is energy. So that's why, you know, I, I also try, not that I shy away from like talking about dark things at all. You know, I mainly talk about dark things, but <laughs> you know, when I'm like talking about like, you know, writing in the notebook, I won't be spending my time on that energy no more for real. Yeah. Because it's like, when I do that, then feels like I get more of that energy, you know? But when I put the dream, I like what you said about focus, spending time on the dream. You know what I mean? Like, I've been logging my dreams and shit because I'm trying mm-hmm. to get into that lucid dream and crack that code. And I feel like spending time on the dream, especially for me, when I'm fucked up emotionally, like mm-hmm. focusing on the dream and putting energy towards the dream, um, it it helps me to, like, transcend whatever funk I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, so there's so much there, but first just to say like talking to the dead, you know, I mean, it's one of the most profound things that I think we can do. I mean, whether we're listening to a dead musician, reading a dead person's book, talking to the dead before we do something. I mean, you, you think about like, okay, here's a, person that isn't bound up like me anymore they actually live in that world of ideas they live in that world of constitutive forces and the things that create art and become you know this expression right and so it's like when you talk to the dead you talk to all those forces and when we die and we have our bodies you know like go do something else in the ground, we get rewoven into those forces ourselves. You know, we become part of the artistic idea of the universe. And I think it's, you know, yeah. And so I think it's like, it's a really beautiful thing to sit and just be with the dead. And, and I think then, you know, you notice (laughs) <laughs> that you're being noticed, which is so interesting, right? It's like, I did this. I, 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 I said, I'm going to put it out there. Like when I get a synchronicity like that, like you got with the letter coming, I don't, I just try to take it like, oh, the, the world has sort of turned itself towards me for a second. Right. It's, it's noticed that I've been sort of pulling all these things towards mm-hmm. me the same way where like when you plant a seed in the ground, an acorn, it's like, the soil forces, the rain forces, the sun forces, they all notice that spot and then they turn it into something. You know what I mean? They turn it into a tree. So, yeah, I think that that's really beautiful, everything it you said. It takes time. 
takes and, time too, right? To make a tree. Yeah. <laughs> yo, real talk. It, it yeah. takes time. Like that's something I've been learning about just the way energy moves. It's like, you really don't know what direction it's going to come back from, you know, the mm-hmm. energy that you, that you put out into the universe. And I remember being in situations before where, you know, I had, really close friends of mine like deeply betrayed me and robbed me and you know fucked me up set me in a in a whole terrible path and i'd be like god damn what did i ever do like i you know i did everything i you know what i mean i brought you on tour i opened up my home for you i you know i took care of you um i always do right by my guys and then i was like oh shit my girls <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> you know what I mean like oh shit I wasn't right at all over there I was be- I was there was a lot of betrayal I was doing and mm-hmm. it just so happened that it ended up coming back you know it bounced off and it came back the other way you know and the same is true for fucking positive energy that's why I try to just like I try to just you know I try to do good and not worry so much about it being reciprocated or how it's going to come back. And it gets frustrating, mm-hmm. but you know, it's still my ethos is like to just be the person I am and, and, and try to make positive impact in my way. Um, and I do believe that one way or another, it's going to come back around. It's going to bounce around, you know, but I don't know where it's going to come from. <laughs> right, right. But that's, I mean, that's the sort of, it's a little bit of a trick almost in a good way where if you actually just put your head down in the work and you do it, then you're not, and you're not trying to get anything from it. Then Mm -hmm. you also aren't going to get the bad shit because you weren't trying to get that either. You know what I mean? It's like, you were like, I'm just creating, like, I'm just creating, I'm just giving. So that's it, you know? And I think that that changes the field of (laughs) what notices you and what comes back to you. You know what I mean? That's the way I try to look at the music shit too, man. It's like, you know, I've always been a person that has to work very hard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I I gotta spend hours upon hours, you know what I mean, writing and do make song after song to get something that I really love. But I I try to I try to uh, just contextualize my my efforts to be like i know i know what i'm doing though i'm here i'm making mm-hmm. the song whether it's shit you know or whether I, i'm gonna think it's any good tomorrow you know <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm making it and i'm gonna make the next one i'm gonna make the next one and i'm gonna try not to worry too much about the about the result you know what i mean and just like mm. be sh- and be sure that i uh that i put myself in the process I talk about, I mean, I read about some, um, some, some people that have written about writing, you know, I don't, I don't remember exactly who it was. I think it might be Stephen King has, has a book called on writing. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes when people, um, when people write about writing, they describe like the intense anxiety that can come the moment you put a pen to a blank page and you know and how how it could feel like 
the weight of the world is on your shoulders. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you'd be sitting, you'd be sitting there alone, no pressure, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, no pressure except for the empty page and the pen. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just find, and it feels like lift, it's like it feels like lifting a, you know, mm. like a, a weight, you know, and uh, but I find that when I when I when I exercise that and I exercise cutting through that shit and keep just keeping the pen on the page and keep and writing the words regardless. Um, mm. It's the most rewarding, man, because because I've put the energy in, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think like when I talk about writing, um, I say it's like, <clears throat> you know, like your style when you write. And maybe this is true for music too. I don't know. I'm not a musician, but it's like, well, your style when you write is a mood that you create out of yourself. So it's like, you know, when you're <clears throat> actually, I think it, maybe it does apply to music. Cause I heard you actually say something <laughs> on a podcast once where you said like, uh, you know, if the song you're, you're quoting Scarface, I think where you were like, mm. you know, if you, if you don't cry after you write the song, you haven't written the right song or whatever. Right. And so, and, and also, and now you actually do cry in a song on the tape, right? So you, right. You, you hit it before you even got out of that one, which is interesting. <laughs> right. But like, yeah, I was fucked up. <laughs> but I think like, you know, for me, when I'm writing, like when I, when I try to tell people, it's like, okay, you know, you're at your best when you have that feeling, when you have that mood, when you're writing and nobody else can give you that mood. Nothing else can give you that mood. Only the process of doing it, it's totally belongs to you. So instead of trying to write this or that way or copy this or that person, find that mood and stay in it for as long as you can when you write. And then the thing that happens, yeah, sure. You can get better and better every year at feeling that mood and understanding that mood, just like you can with anger or, you know, happiness or whatever. But the more you develop it in yourself, the more the art will actually reflect something that really is coming, coming through you, you know, and it's a pure as yeah, possible. It's, it's definitely the mood, man. You know, I've been writing a lot of prose <clears throat> this year um, and working on a book mm. and, um, and you know when you, when you catch when you catch the catch the stride, um, it's there's a swagger to 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 writing mm-hmm. to to writing you know not, not even poetry nothing like that but um, it's it's about finding that mood for real and I definitely find once again that it's like just the more I do it the easier it is for me to find the mood you know what I'm saying. Yeah, and I think that's also why maybe you were saying before, like, the way you would write or, like, it's why maybe, like, starting with a mood that's not yours isn't right. Like, I'm going to write an angry song or I'm going to write an angry story or an angry poem or whatever. It's like, yeah, but that's, I'm borrowing that. Like, I'm borrowing that from the world outside of me. Actually, what is the, what's the real mood that comes from me, you know? Is a different question, I think. Yeah, I definitely like to when I'm writing, like when I'm writing prose shit. I do like, I do like being reading people that I want to, that I look up to as mm-hmm. well. Like when I'm when I'm reading James Baldwin, it helps me write well. You know what I mean? 
Because yeah. I kind of, because I pick, I say, I pick a little bit of the style. You know what I'm saying? Like a little. I, I mean, I feel like in general, as as artists, you know, musicians, writers, our style often is like a composite of our influences. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. mixed up with you know our own our own personal flavor. And I mean, unless you like Old Dirty Bastard, but Old Dirty <laughs> Bastard even. He's a style, he was a composite of his influences of, you know, some soul shit and some <laughs> goddamn it, you know, Jam- Jamaican dance hall shit. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I see it the same way with um, I see it the same way with just the written word. It's like, at least for myself, I'll just peep like what piece of my style right here is, is coming off like, you know, some James Baldwin shit or um, mm-hmm. him in a Huey Newton place or, you know, um, Mumia. I've been reading a lot of Mumia Abu-Jamal. Mm. Um, and I, I like I like putting together that melting pot. Like when I'm rapping, I be taking a lot from Nas. You know what mm. I mean? Mm. I be taking from Nas. I be taking from Common. I be taking from Hove. I be taking from Kanye. I be taking from Andre 3000. Um, all of them, you know? Yeah, <clears throat> well, what you said about James Baldwin, I have like a. Yeah, see. I was gonna say your library looks ill. Oh yeah, it's pretty good. But so this this woman right here, her name is Joy Williams, and she's this weird, weird writer, right? So whenever I want to write, I don't take from her, but as soon as I read two or three sentences, I'm like, I get that like agitation. Right. I'm like, I gotta go. I have to. In fact, she's one of my favorite writers, but she's also one of the hardest writers for me to read because I can't. I can't stand it. Like I'll get a few paragraphs and I'll feel like I got to go do my own thing immediately. Her name's so, Joy Williams. Yeah. 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 She wrote, <clears throat> she's crazy, <laughs> crazy writer. Um, she has a great novel called the quick and the dead and also breaking and entering. Um, but she, but she, it's like, a, it's not that I copy her. It's that something about, the way she speaks evokes my mood. Inspires you. Yeah, that's what I really mean. You know, as, isn't it isn't it weird sometimes how some of the illest writing will be so uncomfortable to read? Yes. Like, that's how the bluest eye is for me. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Toni Morrison. And I, I never made it through it, like... <laughs> in high school i still don't know if i've gotten through it because the style is just so off kilter and she's like ain't you know she got whole chunks where there's no punctuation and the, mm. no separation between words and she's repeat and it's 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 like schizophrenic sometimes and i'll be like this is fucked up it's so ill though but it's like i can't hardly even stand to read this shit uh-huh. <laughs> yeah because well with the song you're like all right but this will be done in two minutes. So I'm fine. Right. But with the right. novel, you're like, what am I supposed to endure this mood for like hours? <laughs> I can't hold that, you know? <laughs> Yo, word. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, I want to talk about, I think like, uh, we both grew up probably different bands, but we both grew up listening to like punk music and rock music. And I've heard you say like, there's not, you know, with hip hop and punk, it's not that there's the same themes necessarily, but there's one spirit. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about that spirit because I know like for me, 
It's it's funny too. Moving to Ireland, there's actually a similar spirit in a lot of like traditional Irish music because Word. there's so much about imperialism, colonization, all Word. that kind of stuff, Ooh, and I'm like you know. But yeah. <clears throat> but even more like there, I, in some weird way, there's even more in common with traditional Irish music and hip hop because there's so many place names, so many specific names of people, so many mm. like the cultural memories. Those are there, big, yeah, right. That's ill. You know, that's wild. I've never really thought about thought about Ireland in that way. And I'm Irish too, man. Like my my uh, my mom. You know I mean? Yeah, my She's mom's like, Irish too, ethnically Irish. My mom's actually. last name is McGurk. Um, <laughs> and fucking that's that is wild though that the that the Irish and the Scottish were like up under the British heel, like still white Europeans, but they didn't go colonize people. They were colonized, right? <laughs> Type right. Shit. So they moved to the U.S. Then they started colonizing some people. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, they, they've been in the U.S. being real tough for a <laughs> long time. Um, but, yeah, man, you know that – I think that that spirit um, it really kind of goes back to resistance. It's definitely, music, it's definitely music of resistance. You know what I'm saying? And, mm. um one of my favorite bands, man, is Rage, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like Rage really encapsulates that world that is like dead center of like, you know, a punk hardcore energy with just rock and roll, you know what I mean? Like in a mm-hmm. pure form and and really truly hip hop. Because um, if, if you think about, you know, some of... Um, you know, if I think about like two probably similarly timed, well, one's a little earlier, like Clash, Guns of Brixton. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like a kind of post dystopic uh, social commentary resistance song. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, then go to like, Grandmaster Flash, the message, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Broken glass everywhere, pissing on the streets, and they just don't care. It's like these things are not that far apart in time. <laughs> They're both foundational for a genre, for their genres, and um, and they contain a lot of the same themes, you know what I mean? It's just mm. a, in a different manifestation. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because, like, I went through this whole period in college where all I listened to was hip hop and it was like early Def Jux era, right? So it was like, I don't know if you remember that site, Underground Hip Hop. I don't even know if it's still around actually, but Mm, like UGHH. Oh, and it was just like every new thing, you know, that you couldn't really hear about anywhere else unless you were in that neighborhood, right? So I would go and I would just buy everything that (laughs) I heard about from Underground Hip Hop. And, um, And so I'd you know, growing up listening to punk and then I just made the switch and all I'd listened to was that music. And then I went to a show in Boston. I won't say who was playing because I don't actually think it matters anymore, but I went to, you know, one of my favorite artists shows there. And like, they were just saying like faggot on the stage, faggot, 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 faggot. Right. And I was like, Oh shit. Like I used to feel like I, I felt like, this was my new cool safe radical space and now it's not anymore 
not safe because I wouldn't have thought of it as safe, but I would have thought like this was my space to develop like my radical politics. But it's interesting because I was thinking about it before this discussion with you. And I was like, yeah, but you know what? They were all saying that at the punk shows too. I just didn't feel as scared of it. So I was like reevaluating that, you know what I mean? Because I was like, it's so (laughs) that like fucked up standard that I was holding for like the hip hop space versus the punk space. You know what I mean? And I mean, they both have the same, (laughs) they both had the same issue, you know? Yo, word, like, you know what I'm saying? One of my favorite, um, one of my favorite punk groups that I'm also not even going to name because, you know. <laughs> we can do it after I turn the recording off. Because <laughs> I definitely, because I, I love them. But, like, you know, it kind of goes back to some of that shit I was talking about before, you know, where people would be really advanced in, in mm. certain respects, you know, and even in a, you know, in like a love direction, you know, in a direction of, you know, positivity, but then be mad homophobic, you know mm. what I mean? Um, and that's some shit that's that's right there in hip hop and and in punk music. Well, I don't know about right now because I don't even know what like modern punk music is. But I'd be like, hmm, you know, but you <laughs> but you all positive. Oh, I'm confused, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also like I was thinking about a lot of this because I was thinking about um, the '93 Punks record and how. In a different way, not that you that you say faggot on that record, but the but in a different way where, like, I was thinking about uh, I don't know if you ever if you remember this, but like when Ice T was in Body Count, right? I remember That's him. That's I was yeah. just thinking about Body Count the other day. Yeah. Oh, you were yeah, right? Like amazing, and I was you know I'm a bit older than you. So I remember like when that band formed and they went on La Plusa and I remember him giving an interview and he was like, <laughs> someone came up to me and was like, why are you playing this rock music? And, and he said, because motherfucker, I like this music. Right. <laughs> and so I was right. thinking about like how you got so much shit for 93 punks stuff. I got a lot of shit. <laughs> and I was thinking, you know what? Like, I know some of it probably has to do with Camp America and like the video for Three Years Sober where you're doing drag and all that kind of stuff. But I thought, you know what? I bet actually one of the real things about this is what the unbearable thing is that you were taking punk music and bringing it out of just a white space and like, and bringing it there. Like, I think actually that is why. I mean, I don't think people have to say that they're, that it's their favorite album of yours or whatever, but I think that they their idea of why they dislike it, I don't think that, it, or, or why they were angry at it, I think it actually has a lot more to do with that. To be well, you know, although I feel like that there is so much similar space between punk and hip hop, um, I think that there's like, there's still a lot of um there's just hella resistance to the otherness mm-hmm. of it you know what i mean from in in the hip hop community it's kind of like it's like they'll be they'll be with the shit as long as what you're doing is still like about fucking bitches and like <laughs> 
and cars and doing drugs and shit specifically. You know what uh-huh. I mean? Um, definitely the definitely being in drag had people wanting to fight me. I was I was just talking to my homie about that shit the other day. Like some of my big homies and shit. You know what I mean? Guys that like raised me from being a little kid wanted to fight me for they definitely wanted to fight me for that shit. They was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, God damn, you know. <laughs> I know. It sounds like 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 if someone wants to <laughs> don't tell them I said this if you still talk to them, but it sounds like repressed sexual energy to me. Like I feel like they just thought you looked good and they couldn't handle that. Oh my <laughs> <God. in> the- <laughs> it's been too far. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. But you know, I was thinking, I was like, man, because that video was cold too. Like the video mm. was actually dope. Like I directed the video and I was really, I was really proud of it. Um, and just like cinematically, you know what I mean? Um, mm. but it's like, man, it I was break I was breaking too many rules, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, I remember thinking at the time I was like, I was like, man, you know, uh, fucking, what's uh, Eminem could put on a dress, or you know, Tyler the Creator could put on a dress. Why can't I do it? <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, people were bad at me, man. Motherfuckers in Chicago wanted to fuck me up for that, yeah. Yeah, but it's funny too that you brought up like, yo, I gotta like, tell you a funny story, bro. Yeah, yeah, I gotta go tell you, yeah. So this shit was funny, man. Um, so. Man, you know, I was like, I was like hella paranoid a couple months ago. I was going through some shit. And um, I was like, man, I got to get a pistol, you know. And so, you know, I, I had I had bought this, you know, this pistol from, from like friend of a friend type thing. And so not somebody that I really know, you know. Um, and then, you know, understandably, after that, I was like not really trying to talk to the guy much anymore because I'm like, man, this was a transactional thing, you know. And he like hit me up for all type of shit, and it was just a little bit much for me, you know. Um, so I, I like blocked the number. Then I was in Africa, and um, I got a message from a, like a number I didn't recognize, and. Um, you know, it was the guy, he was upset. He was like, man, how you going, you know, talk to this guy, not talk to me, you know? And, um, and yeah, man. And what's up with that dress you was wearing in that video? <laughs> 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 I was like, uh, hell no. <laughs> yeah. That's going to stick with you for a while. <laughs> oh, no, bro, I can't get in no beefs. That's I can't gonna- get in no that's gonna be your tombstone, like Vic Mensa. What's up I with that dress? <laughs> I can't. I can't get in no rap beef. I ain't got. I. I don't have any bargaining chips for rap beef right <laughs> now. It's not gonna matter how good I can rap because it's like, literally, you ain't even got to look for the photo. It's like I. I put the photo on. <laughs> well, incentive to stay out of beef. <laughs> Right, you just like you just like collapsed the whole thing, so you didn't have to be in it at all anymore, right? That's my incentive to stay out of beef, yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's funny that you said like before. Oh, it's okay if you if rapping is about fucking a lot of bitches, right? Because I I also think 
I've been thinking about like why people have such a resistance to um, hip hop permeation of certain communities. Like people don't want their kids listening to it or whatever it Uh, is. And I think actually like, you know, with, especially like with WAP and all that, like you realize a lot of it's actually about sex. Like, uh, you know, like a lot of it is definitely, you know, racialized, of course, but I think it's it's actually racialized in this erotic racialized way. Like, Oh, we don't, we're actually threatened by the sexual content, you know? Oh, for sure. 100%. I mean, it's like that WAP shit is crazy, but it's, but it's really, it's really textbook American though, because it's like the, just the, uh, the idea of like the hypersexual black mm-hmm. woman in this case, you know what I'm saying? Um, as like, and, and, you know, you see these white women in, in such like fear <laughs> and disgust and um you know you think about the historical precedent to it you know where it's like in reality man you know white men are the ones that have raped the world you know Mm -hmm. these in on a on a plantation it was the slave master that was raping all of these black female slaves but his wife would be mad resentful like these harlot black women these uh these Mm -hmm. you know set these winches you know, over-sexualized horrors when it's like, bitch, ain't nobody did nothing like what your husband done. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. But, but you were finding a scapegoat for for what you really got going on. And right now, so I'll be looking at them being like, you know, crying about 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 the WAP shit. And I'm like, y'all right. laugh. Right. Y'all too goofy. Yeah, and, and then even like, so when white people appropriated black music and rock, right? Then even then, like there was the fear of the kind of sexuality permeating white people. So you have Elvis on TV, but they won't show him from the waist, you know, they won't show the waist down because actually it's the sexual content that becomes so threatening. And like all throughout history, there's this idea of like, oh, the pagan sexuality of like people that we encounter with imperialism will somehow threaten or destabilize us. So I just was thinking about it as like, actually, this is a really, in a positive way, I want to say this really dangerous element of hip hop music. I mean, of course, you know, we can pull apart what the politics of that sexuality is in hip hop. But I also think that there's something really powerful about it in hip hop music that's really destabilizing and really, you know, disruptive as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, hip hop music is is just disruptive and it's, in its genesis, you know what I mean? I do think sometimes about like, I think about hip hop music and um, it's like proliferation of caricatures and stereotypes. And it's, I, I don't have it figured out, but it it's kind of, it's just interesting that you got these stereotypes of, um, of black people, you know what I mean? Like you got the black man as being like this uber violent, very strong, like bigger Thomas, you know, um, untamed, dangerous energy, you know, and super, you know, sexualized as well. And then it's like, you got much of, um, much of hip hop being rooted in like 
I kill everybody if they I'm, I'm shooting everything. You <laughs> like even the pills, I'm shooting everybody. Like <laughs> and, and uh it's it's like it's like a it's like a porno, you know what I mean? It's like I, I think about hip hop sometimes as like danger porn for white America. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh-huh. And yeah. it's like they're they're getting off on this shit because this is like their biggest fear, but also you know, something that they're so intrigued by. And then, you know, you got mm. so many of the, of the female artists that, um, you know, are, are pushing forth the like super sexual narrative. And that's also the, the stereotype of black women. But at the same time, like you said, it's also, it, it's like, it, it's disruptive. And it's, it, it, it's not that I'm saying it's a negative thing. I'm just saying like, hip-hop often serves to completely reinforce stereotypes, if that makes sense. Or yeah, but, Right, right. Well, it finds, it. Fi- I mean, it's not just hip-hop, but hip-hop does it in a specific way, right? Like, it finds that spot of power, and it just stands in it. And when you stand in it so long, from the outside, it can seem sort of confusing, like, is this good, is this bad? I don't know, right? Like, but I think one of the, one of the things to bring up, maybe to flesh this out, like I've been thinking about, you know, there's this whole thing with the murders that just happened in Atlanta of the women who are working at the massage parlor, right? And um, I've been really frustrated with the way people have been talking about it for a lot of reasons. I, I, Crazy, and I don't even bro. know, like, you know, like, for like, stop Asian hate, whatever the fuck that means, instead of saying stop white supremacy, right? Then, like, nobody talking about the fact that they're sex workers. It's like, no, we need to talk about that, too. The guy literally said he was killing them because they were sex workers. But now there's this whole thing, and this is more germane to the point we were talking about. It's like, every, like, people are like, oh, the, like, we need to talk about the hypersexualization of Asian women. And I'm like, Look, we can talk about the hypersexualization of any group if you want, but let's not pretend that our idea of what healthy sexuality is isn't also informed by imperialist, cisgender, straight, heteronormative white men and women from the 19th century, because that's what we think is healthy, and that's what we're comparing what we call hypersexualization up against, right? So when we talk about the people that are in you know, what is, what it's, you know, when it's in whatever video and we're talking about what we call stereotypes, it's like, yeah, but like the thing that it's being compared to as a stereotype is fucked up. Like the the framing, the context is completely Mm -hmm. also like a violent sham. So why do, so, so we've got to bring that in too, before we have the real conversation, it makes it way more complicated, but you know, we got to do it. Yeah, America is like America's whole relationship with sexuality is just <laughs> convoluted, man. It's like, and that—that's a place I ain't got. I ain't really got no answers because it's—it's like it's—it's so—it's so deep, you know what I mean? And um, it's so—it's so wrapped up in shame, you know what I mean? Mm. I feel like sex for so many people is, you know has is so hand in hand with like guilt and shame. I know for me, that's how I ended up, you know, just having so many issues like with relationships and, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I was damn near, I was damn near on some sex addict shit. 
damn near. And it was like and sex was has been so intertwined with shame. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. secrecy and like, you know, and drugs and you know what I mean? Like so much bullshit. Um that it's it's hard to even know what a what healthy sexuality is. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, nobody does really. Like, I think actually sex workers are probably the closest. Like, the way I say it is like sex workers bear the burden of a culture that refuses to work on its attitudes towards sex, right? So, like, sex workers fucking see it all. Like, they see every <laughs> aspect of it. And I, so I think that, I think that there's a picture there that's worth investigating. But I also think, you know, if you talk about something like sex addiction or porn addiction or whatever, when people say stuff like that to me, I'm like, look, <laughs> like people come to me all the time. They'll tell me about their like sex addiction or porn addiction stuff because of what I've done with my life. But I'm like, okay, so how often do you like watch porn? You know, and someone be like, sometimes three hours a day. And I'm like, all right, how often do you work that job that you fucking hate? And they're like 40, 50 hours. And I'm like, well, it sounds like your work addiction is getting in the way of you jerking off the porn, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> One makes you feel good. It's not hurting anybody. And you're enjoying the pleasure that your body gives you. The other is a non-consensual forced relationship that if you don't enter into it, you die of starvation or illness. So what are we talking about? Right? Hell no. He's talking about your work addiction is getting in the way of your completely productive porn life. <laughs> exactly. You know, por- I ain't going to lie. Porn is, porn is tricky, though, man, because like, I feel like porn... It just, ooh, it's dark energy for me. You know what I mean? Like, it's like definitely, it's definitely a dark energy. It's like, it, it's a, it's like a false. It's, it's like drugs to me. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a, it's like a pleasure that you know inevitably feels good in the moment, but always feels bad afterwards. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, for me yeah. at least. But that's the framing, right? It's like. It's like the way that we communicate about it, the way we talk about it, the way we handle it in our lives. It's like, we don't even know how to deal. It's potent, right? It's powerful. So how do we deal with that power instead of like, you know, well, I'm going to engage for a few minutes, maybe longer, depending on who you are. (laughs) I I don't know why I did that. That was really furious. And then then I'm going to disengage, right? But it's like, you know, but what about why don't we why don't we take a second and say, look, sexual imagery is the first art that we find is sexual imagery in human history, right? So why don't we take a minute and say this thing that's been with us since the beginning of time in all cultures mm-hmm. everywhere, like why don't we think about it as a serious thing instead of always making an issue you have to take sides on or you have to have bad or good feelings about, mm-hmm. but it never gets its own investigation. You know, never gets its own serious consideration. Is like, what is this? Why do we need this? Why do we want this? What good stuff does it do for us? You know, all that kind of stuff. And that's, I mean, it's like so many other things, you know, it could be violence. It could be drugs. It could be whatever, but so these are violent. all wars on consciousness, you know? Yeah. yeah. Yo, that's one thing that's wild to me about porno is like um, how violent and like how, um, how rapey it is oftentimes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's a, the, the, uh, 
the the rape fantasy element of porn is like I feel like it subconsciously gets in people's heads and is like creating and uh, and can create um completely fucked up ideas of what sex should be you know what i mean like there's this one porn guy i don't know what his name is but it's this mexican dude <laughs> and every time he does a video you know what the thing is it's like you know uh sister is like you know runs into the girl runs into sister's boyfriend you know and he's always like choking girls out and like pushing them on the ground and like you know, it's not that they'd be like, no, but it's like clearly some whole rape shit. And I'd be like, yo, this shit is weird. Uh, yeah, but, you do- know, like, but but we got to ask, <laughs> like, when people say that, I'm always like, when people are like, oh, and we got this like aggressive, I mean, I say aggressive, but they'll say like rape porn or whatever. And it's like messing people's sexuality up. I'm like, how? Like, how was young men's sexuality going before internet porn yeah, showed up? Yeah, Not so well, right? The shit been fucked up the whole time. <laughs> right, exactly. So, like, actually, maybe this is, like, maybe yeah, this is where you the never... goes, you know? Yeah, yeah, you're right, though, because, I mean, and that, that's, some, that's, like, a deep, dark place. It's just that all of this shit is, is there in, in human nature. You know what I'm saying? Like... I, I definitely think about that shit sometimes. Like, you know, man, human nature just, it has so many forms and it's got some really like unsightly places. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like child molesters have always been there. You know what I mean? How do you contextualize that? Cause it's like, it's clearly not right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It, but it's always, but it's also, it, it's not right. And, I, and my inclination is to be like, it's not natural, but is something that's been happening. Can something that's been happening since the dawn of time be not natural? Right. Yeah. Like the way, the way I say that is like, you know, we got to fight for the people we fight against, you know, it's like, I might not think that's right, but like, what am I going to do? I need to also like include murderers, child molesters, whatever, you know, even the people that I fucking hate the most, which are basically the white collar criminals. I hate them even more because they affect so many people like, or the desk killers. Like I did a whole episode with this guy who wrote a book about desk killers, people that sign a piece of paper and murder by policy. Right. Like those Mm, are the most heinous motherfuckers right but i think okay go back to their wife and kids at the end of the day like great yeah like nothing you know and so it's like i even them i want to try to pull them out of the evil that they're in because i think most people most people are in evil there probably are some evil there are actually evil people but most people are actually just in evil so how do i dissolve the evil that they're in or help them dissolve it so they can step out of it and then you know, then you have different questions. So then it's like, I mean, I do think actually music is a really big part of this because, you know, a concert is like a restorative justice act in a way. Because I try to think about how arts really like actually helps people. And it's like, well, you go to this space, you know, you go to the space and everybody's fucking different, but they're both vibrating. They're all vibrating with the same shit in that moment. They're all resonating with the sound that's coming out, you know, and they're all connected in that space in a way. And I think that that's really... I think that's really beautiful. I mean, I don't know if you actually have a sense of that or not. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's like that 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 space of of a live music man, live music event. It's like it's all it's like a religious damn near. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but now I was thinking about like you know what you said about um kind of, kind of seeing the humanity in people. You know, people that have done you know that have done heinous things. You know what I mean? And still seeing them as 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 human beings like i was um i was kicking it with michael k williams the other day and he was like talking about some work that he does in new york city with um um with like the police force you Mm -hmm. know what i mean and like at the end of the day it's like we we want the same things you know what i mean we want to not be under the heel we want our niggas that's locked up forever that could be free. You know, mm-hmm. we want to stop being killed by the police. Um, but, you know, it never. I I personally wouldn't work with the police. Right. You know what I mean? But when he was, because I'm just like, oh, fuck them. Fuck them. They're not, they're not even fucking human beings, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but through my conversation with him, it definitely made me, definitely made me think, you know, he was talking about black cops in particular. And he was like, you know, black cops, they got so much trauma, man, because they have the trauma of being black people. Um, and, you know, then it's doubled down from, you know, being a part of this super oppressive system that's also like, you know, that's extremely racist and is like destructive of your people on the outside and also will discard you, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, um, if you try to speak up. Uh, and it made me it made me think, you know, because I'm like, I deal with I deal with guys all the time um, in the penitentiary, and you know, some some people that are really close to me that you know are serving long ass sentences, um, you know, or have served long ass sentences for murders, and um, obviously, I'm not like a supporter of murder, but I'm a huge supporter of many people that have killed you know what i'm saying and i and i believe in them as people um and and i i don't think that they should be written off you know for good um you know what i'm saying for 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 that and i i and i believe that uh you know great people can do terrible things you know what i mean but that doesn't make them terrible people yeah yeah i mean i think um, I don't know if you know that book, The End of Policing. Do you know that book by Alex Vitale? It's nah. it's awesome. So I had Alex on the show and I've done a few other things with him, but he, he researches police. He talks to police departments. Um, and basically his whole thing is like, you guys shouldn't, you guys shouldn't have to do the shit that you're asked to do. Like, right. do you understand that's unreasonable? Like, why are you being called for mental health control like if someone's like mentally ill why the fuck are you guys being called because then you know like whatever and so you know it it was a hard episode for me to do with him because i was like alex it sounds like you have compassion for the police and he was like i kind of do yeah like but (laughs) but it's like get them out but i think it's like you know it really helped me understand in the same way that you're talking about 
oh, that energy comes through, right? At some point, the people that were the police let the police energy come through, right? They were like, they made that agreement, like whatever that spirit, that police being is, they were like, come through okay. me. I'm going to live my <laughs> life through that, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to live my life through that. And I'm going to do this. I'm gonna do that. And that's not to relieve them from the responsibility they have because they made a decision to let that come through by going through the academy, all that kind of shit. But like- we need to, it, it's the biblical thing. Like we need to fight the powers and principalities. Like you need to like get rid of that fucking police energy. It's the insti- yeah, it's the institution for sure. You know what I mean? Like, and it's like, you know, I ain't got that much compassion for the, for the people at this point in time. I'm sure, uh, you know, I get a little bit older, I probably will. But you know, I do recognize <laughs> that, that it's the institution, you know what I mean? And it's like yeah. the people, are just, they're just cogs in the system. They're just pawns, really, you know? And it, it's true. They don't need to be doing half of the shit, you know, a fraction of the shit that they're doing. I don't want them to be doing to even exist in their current form. Right. But as, as it stands, it's like I've been thinking a lot about alternative first responders. Because, um, like, man, you motherfuckers. You're not trained for so much of this shit. You talk about mental health crises. You're not trained for that, at least in Chicago. You're not trained for that at all. And you add on top, you add immunity and just like being American, you know what I mean? And And the heavy racism that comes along with that. You're bound to kill a nigga if you see him in a, in a schizophrenic in a manic episode, you're going to kill the nigga because you don't have the training, you are racist, and there's no consequences. It's a perfect fucking storm. It's right. like it it doesn't it doesn't serve anybody. You know what I mean? It's like it's not serving you to to put you in a position to to be a killer, and it's obviously not serving the, the people being slaughtered. This shit is just. I'm like, yeah. get rid of that shit. No, right. We got to stop. That's just stopping that murder machine. And that's why, you know, it's like <clears throat> you're one of, you, not a lot of people do this, but you're like, you're one of the few people. It's like publicly where you talk about, if you talk about gun violence, like you're like, yeah, I mean, gun violence, like uh, the police are gun violence, you know, like when, and when we talk about gun control, it's like, yeah, that's the fucking military. That's the police. Those are the people who are killing the most people with guns. So, you know, we got to include that in what we talk about. But I want to I want to maybe like just round this off with one last thing. This would be the last thing we we talk about. But, you know, when we're talking about these kinds of uh restorative justice community-based actions all that kind of stuff i was thinking about your the the bethlehem song where you mentioned uh dr sebi right and for people who don't know i'll i'll put a link in the show notes to who dr sebi is um but i was thinking about how you know like there's all this sort of controversy around him because, you know, he was this herbalist or whatever. And we can think that he was delusional or we can think that he was actually really helping people, but what he represents and what he represents people is like, I'm, I know that nobody's going to come again. It's like this thing from the top, nobody's going to come save us. So we got to have solutions in our community where we can take care of each other, where we can help each other, where we can heal each other. So like I, I had Rachel true on the show. She's a, she's an actor and she was like, 
you know, people, she, and, but she does tarot readings now. She was a big actress. She was in that movie. The craft is like her big claim to fame. Like when she was, <laughs> when she was younger, but she's like, look, a tarot card box. It's like tarot cards are like a shrink in a box, you know? And like, other black people give me shit for like reading their cards, but I know everybody in their community had this one woman that would do the weird shit for them that would tell them how to get through this or that problem or would cast a spell or would whatever. Right. So it's the way in which spiritual and alternative practices come into communities to untie the, uh, the knot or the connection to the state apparatus or the corporate apparatus or whatever, in the way we take care of each other. So I'm one wondering if you had any of those kinds of uh, alternative practices, like you have meditation is a form of therapy, but if you had any of those alternative practices in your life, in your community, in your neighborhood, when you're younger, if you have any now, if you're encouraging any now, because I think, again, it's like, you know, people can get all upset about Dr. Sebi however they want. But he means something when we think about, oh, this is somebody that said, we don't need the shit that you're feeding us. We're going to take care of it on our own. We're going to do it ourselves, right? And it becomes a dangerous game, I think, a little bit, but. Well, that's so dangerous. I mean, you know, I think what's interesting about Dr. Sebi just as a representation of, like, holistic medicine um, in a Western world is that the Western world as, as, a, as an entity, as a, as a structure, um, has no space for the cultivation of your well-being because <laughs> it profits so much from your sickness. You know what I'm saying? It's like big farmers making crazy dough for us to be sick and addicted. Mm-hmm. They have, they don't, have an incentive, you know what I mean, for us to be healed. And the food and drug industry as a, in totality, they, they don't have the incentive for us to be well. That's not, it's not how they, that's not how they cash in is, is our health. Um, and, I, you know, it seemed like Dr. Sebi, he was really just tapped into that. He recognized that, but he was really, carrying on a tradition he's from the caribbean or something like that um i I don't actually know the most about dr sebi but it feels to me like an extension of like in uh it's like indigenous knowledge you know what i'm saying and the fact that there are so many so many solutions ancient solutions you know what i mean and and Mm -hmm. natural um avenues that I trust a lot more for wellness. Like growing up, growing up, growing up, I'm I'm not I'm not sure, man. You know, I I would like to front and act like that's how we was using psychedelic drugs, but it's not <laughs> not me. You know what I mean? I yeah. I was caught up. I was fully caught up. Um, but you know, more recently though, something has like definitely been like that for me is um is ayahuasca ayahuasca Mm -hmm. has been like something that you know has has been in my life in in like that esoteric um like spiritual healing role and and some of the related things you know like the toad and 
just that those um freaky ass medicines you know um yeah that 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 shit has been it's been good for me you know it hasn't fixed me and you know i'm talking to my therapist all the time and he's like man you're gonna have to realize that the 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 there's there's no magic fix there's not a magic pill you you can go to this jungle and drink that toad spit and ain't nothing just gonna fix what you're going through you know Mm -hmm. except for you um but but some of those things have helped yeah well they're interventions right it's like in a world that's like or culture or under a certain oppressor where it's things are scientific materialist consumerist capitalism something that shocks you into experiencing the actual proximity of the spiritual world that's medicine you know i think that people might take it too much or they depend on it like you said to save them or something like that but sometimes it's like if you if you have an acute bacterial infection, you want an antibiotic, right? Like sometimes, like you don't always want to just wait for it to go away or drink ginger tea or something like that. Sometimes you need that hard, quick thing, and I I kind of view that as you know plant medicine. If people depend on us, like taking antibiotics all the time, but like for the culture that we're in, it can be this real intense intervention that people need. Yeah, to intervention is the right word. Yeah. So, I mean, it, yeah, it's it, <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, I just am thinking about all the things that we need to undo, all the things that we need to untie. And then also at the same time, that new world that we've got to create. And I, I mean, you have that lyric, you know, they sent us a black plague, then they gave us a white savior. And like, the truth is that the the thing that helps us through can't come from the place that ruined everything in the, <laughs> the fucking first place. The solution can't come from them. Exactly, man. And that's, that's the whole conversation with the police, you know. And, you know, why, why we push so hard for abolishing them is because it's like, dog, you are never, no iteration of you <laughs> right. going to create safety because you're coming from the, from the sower of destruction. You're not going to be the, the one to rebuild. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and it's the same way with it's the same way with the, with the drugs, with all, all that shit, you know, and, um, that's why I've definitely been spending time, you know, studying and learning how to heal myself outside of that, you mm-hmm. know, and I've taken so many antidepressants and all that shit. Um, you know, sometimes it works like magic, but it never lasted. And I'm looking for mm-hmm. something lasting and I think it's already here. I just got to find it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I love the way you say that. Cause it's no comment on if people need it right? Like some people like, don't take that as it's poison. You'll fuck yourself up. I mean, when I took antidepressants and never even touched, it never came close to touching what was going on with me. And I took everything and nothing even came close. And then somebody I love died and she started appearing to me in my meditative space. And then my depression went away. It was fucking crazy. Right. That's crazy. So, so it's not crazy. It was intense. I, I got to watch the way I use the word, right? It's not crazy. It's actually, that's real. It was intense, but I, but I think, um, you know, 
it's like, but I wouldn't tell anybody else not to take it. People got to do what they got to do to live, you know, and, and, and be happy and try to survive. And, you know, but I like the way you say it. Cause you're like, look, I take it and sometimes it works, but I'm trying to also dissolve, you know, that connection. So I can actually be with where my real happiness, my real sustenance, my real life is. And anyway, man, it's really nice to talk with you. <laughs> it's great to talk to you too, man. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah yeah all right um all right so anyway thank you so much for talking with me Vic Mensa, and uh thanks everybody for listening appreciate you for having me